0: Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. Hi, everyone. I wanted to make sure that you knew about the former cult member support group that I run online. It's for former cult members and for people who have been in relationships with narcissists Anyone who is coming out of a situation where they feel like their heads were played with, basically, without their consent or their knowledge a lot of the time. And also, there are some family members and good friends who join the group just to be able to share some of their struggles and to learn from the former cult members to find out what helped them leave and what they needed after they left. If you're interested at all, please let me know. You can email me at BernsteinLMFT, F F as in Frank, T, at gmail.com. And let me know or at The Indoctrination Show at gmail.com email as well. And just let me know if you're interested. It's every other Wednesday evening starting at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's a resource out there, and I wanted to make sure you knew about it. Over the years, in my practice, I have worked with a number of people who have gotten involved in martial arts cults. It was either karate or jujitsu, many different kinds of boxing and mixed martial arts. And what made it a cult? Was, of course, the person in charge. If the person was a sadist, and this was true in almost every case, where people were pushed so far to the point actually of having their heart stop a number of times, and that they had to devote their lives to this person, that they had to sacrifice everything for this person. And they had to see them not only as people, but as superhuman. Then you have a dangerous situation. And a lot of these people are still feeling like that person's voice is in their head, controlling them, belittling them, making them feel shame about not working so hard, not suffering as they had day in and day out to really hone their craft. And so it's an example on the show today of how a cultic group doesn't have to be a religious group. And it doesn't have to be a large group awareness training. And it doesn't have to be a multi-level marketing kind of system or residential awful teen treatment center. But it can happen when you go in to learn karate or martial arts. It goes right back to the nature of the relationship between the leader and the followers. So today, we have the pleasure of hearing from Rob, who's been training in martial arts for about 25 years. He's earned third-degree black belt in karate and a purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and is a boxer, kickboxer, just to name a few. He was on the international martial arts team full circle for two years and ran his own martial arts school for four years. He's been consulting for martial arts businesses for 10 years, and because of the things that he noticed that were happening, that were unhealthy to the point of being dangerous. He founded McDojo Life about 10 years ago. I'm very happy to have you hear him today. Here's Rob now. Well, today on the show, we're going to cover a subject that we haven't covered before, but I've been wanting to since the beginning of this podcast, since its inception. This is a subject that helps to reinforce for a lot of people that control and manipulation, intimidation can happen in many different contexts and can also happen within a community that has its own sense of kind of strength and capability and feels strong, feels strong physically or wants to feel stronger also physically, but is coming to it with, I think, a certain amount of feeling of ability. And suddenly something starts to go very wrong. And sometimes it's not necessarily something that you are going to be able to pick up on right away or even a long time into it. And so I want our guest today to introduce himself and then we'll start talking about this really important subject. Okay, go for it.
1: My name is Rob. I run a web entity, I guess you could call it, called McDojo Life. And uh, I've been calling out fakes, frauds, phonies, con men, and pedophiles In the martial arts industry for over a decade now.
0: Wow, really nice. So what have you noticed actually over this decade? What's changed over this time? Or have you noticed more groups and more kind of copycat, you know, issues with people, you know, doing the same sorts of things?
1: Well, I think the main issue is is that people, when they join martial arts, are joining martial arts for all of the tenants that are kind of portrayed in the media honor respect integrity dedication all these things sound so good and when people join martial arts they put the instructors up on this pedestal and they already assume that the instructor has those tenants and almost give them some type of a deity type quality like they're bigger than life when they're really just people and what i've noticed is that because the martial arts industry is not regulated whatsoever that anyone can do this and I guess the biggest shock to me over the longest period of time that I've been doing this is that it's still going on and it's going on and it hasn't slowed down. And as a matter of fact, from what I'm noticing, it may have even started to spread a little bit more because I think because it's going unchecked and unregulated, people are starting to realize that, well, they can just get away with it. That's, I guess, what I've been noticing the most.
0: Very interesting. So, you know, I came to understanding about martial arts, cults and abuse through a couple of clients of mine, one of whom had uh, symptoms of PTSD and had a very hard time focusing, developed a lot of different fears, was fearful then of enclosed spaces, had nightmares about drowning. His head was held underwater, actually, as something to empower him somehow, where the person in charge started instructing them about every facet of their life and dictating how they should feel about their family and who they should date or if they should date. And they had some of their students living in their home with them and really took over every part of it. And you're right, it is unregulated in these situations and others that I've dealt with. There was nobody to complain to. And so they were left out on their own and just having to deal with the trauma connected to it. And also coming out of it, feeling confused. Like, were they too weak to handle it? Or did something really wrong happen to them?
1: We were discussing this previously for the interview for the documentary. But what we did was for our film, we actually went out to talk to a lot of different martial arts experts, not just one, because a lot of people think that jiu jitsu is the end all be all or karate. So we tried to get as many different experts from across the board as we could to ask baseline questions to see what the general consensus was. And one of the general consensus with one of the questions was, where's the line between training and abuse? And all the coaches, there were definitely some martial arts competitors who had a harder time answering it, but coaches themselves, the top tier coaches all had the same answer was, it depends on the student. You have to treat each student case by case, depending on what their goals and their needs are. Where if you look at one top level athlete, what you might put a top level athlete through is not what you're going to put your day one student through. And so, so many schools try to just create the best student, but it's more egotistical. It's more from a narcissistic point of view, where it's not creating the best student for the student. It's creating the best student for the instructor, so that the instructor can show off how tough his students are or how great his students are, which is counterproductive to the individual who might not be trying to be the toughest. He might just want to learn, lose thirty pounds, or might just want a mentor, or might just want friends. And so it's really sad to see these people going in with these great expectations, you know, oh man, this is going to be the thing that I've always wanted to do. So damn it, I'm going to go forward and finally do the thing that I've always wanted to do. Finally learn jujitsu, finally learn karate, get that self-esteem and confidence I want. And then the instructor, not all instructors, by the way, but the instructor in this particular case, takes advantage of that, sees that weakness and uses it for their own benefit rather than the benefit of the student. And that happens way more often than it should.
0: Right. Okay. So thank you. So then just to have a point of reference, we want to juxtapose the unhealthy from the healthy. When you go into a dojo, when you go into any studio, what is a healthy model for instruction? What should you expect that is going to be beneficial to you?
1: Always goes back to the individual. Um, The individual is going to dictate what their individual needs are. It's up to the instructor to be honest. So when you go to a martial arts studio and you don't know anything, like for me, right? I'm not a car guy. I suck at car stuff. If I went to a mechanic, I'm trusting the mechanic to tell me the truth. I would never know if they're lying to me or not because I don't know how cars work, right? But it's the same thing with martial arts instruction or anything. We just don't know what we don't know. And there's nothing wrong with that. But luckily, nowadays, we do have these great resources in which we can follow up on questions that we've asked to find out if they're truthful or not. And to me, I think one of the biggest standards are, is that instructor being honest with you about basic things? Because if they're lying about basic things, they will lie to you more down the road. For instance, most martial arts instructors, you should be able to ask them, hey, well, where did you get your black belt from? And if they give you an answer that you can't research, that's a huge red flag. That's a very scary thing because that means that they're lying to you right off the bat. Or what martial arts style am I going to be learning here? And if they tell you, well, I have 30 or 40 different 10th degree black belts, which normally by any case, one 10th degree black belt should mean you're roughly about 75 years old or so. (laughs) And so when somebody says that they have more than two, that's a very scary thing because that means that either they made them up which is a solid possibility, or they had a very low standard of what those expectations are. And if their standards were low, just like the game of telephone, as that's passed down, the standards will become less and less and less over the course of time. And so it's, these are just a couple red flags. But I mean, the, I guess the biggest red flag is, are you happy there? Do you enjoy it? Did you take the trial class? Because I always suggest that when you go learn a martial art, you take as many trial classes as you can. And see which one actually will help you meet those goals, which you might have maybe two or three. And then out of those two or three, is this the show you would watch five seasons of? I guess I could, this is the best way to put it. No one watches season three, episode four of a show that sucked in the first season. You just stop watching, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not for you. So I would always suggest, after you do your research, make sure that the instructor is helping you with the goals that you're looking for. Which one do you just enjoy? Because if you like it, you're more likely to do it, which means you're more likely to practice and then in turn, make you more likely to reach the goals that you have.
0: Okay, so important. And then I think also sometimes people will say, I had an okay time. I thought some things were a little fishy, but it was sort of okay. It got really creepy when I decided to stop. And then I was pressured into staying or I was told that my life was going to be a failure or that I was going to be an embarrassment to my family, whatever it was, or I was going to be succumbing to my weakness or something. It's just everything sort of turned on me. And I was made to feel shame or like I was making a huge mistake for stopping. And and sometimes, again, people will say to me like, oh, you know, I think the group that you're talking about, you know, is perfectly fine. I don't know why you have a thing about it. And I'll say, well, have you decided ever to say that you're not going to come back or that you're not going to sign up for the next level class or you need to miss a few classes? Then I think you'll find out how healthy or unhealthy this is and how much you're being pushed beyond what is healthy for you and that your boundaries are not being respected. So is that a part of what you've been researching too?
1: Yes. So there is a term and this is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu term and not all jiu-jitsu practitioners use this term, but there's a term called the crianche, which I am not Portuguese or I don't speak Portuguese. So forgive my terrible accent and pronunciation of it. But basically what that was, was a character and a soap opera. And in this Brazilian soap opera, this was a very conniving and evil and shady, backstabbing person. And that was his name, was Crouchy. And then so Brazilians took it upon themselves to take this term and to create a, basically a word for it that means a traitor or a backstabber. Now, Brazilian jiu-jitsu has taken this, and not all, again, so I'm not, there would be people out there who take jiu-jitsu and never heard of this term, which is good. That's a good thing. But uh and then some circles of jujitsu, jitsu they use this as a term about people who are going to other studios and training with other people. And that's just the instructor's ego. That's all that is. There's nothing wrong with absolutely anyone in any field searching for a second opinion or to research things more. If you're excited about something like a hobby, I don't just look at one painter. That's the only art style I will ever pay attention to because that's going to limit my ability to be a good painter. And it's the same thing when it comes to reading. If I limit what types of books that I read, that probably will limit my vocabulary because certain words will not appear in other books and they will in in other books. Martial arts is very similar. When you take a martial arts class, you're taking a class from the owner, the instructors under the owner. So those are what you're getting. Well, that's limiting. There are so many other classes. And so why not go out and take the seminar Why not go out and learn the other style? There's nothing wrong with that. And if you can afford that, that's great. It's good news. But the moment that an instructor thinks that he has some type of right to tell you how to act outside of that building, it's a cult. Hands down, in my opinion, it is a cult because I would never do that with anyone else in any other job, which is crazy to me. (laughs) I don't know if that's the right word to use when speaking with a psychologist, but to me, that's crazy. It's if If I go to a barber, I'm not going to, I might talk to the barber and we might have a great conversation, but when I leave there, I'm not going to sit there and go, man, I'm obligated to my barber to act a certain way or my mechanic or my plumber or my piano teacher. But for some reason, people in the martial arts industry feel they're indebted to their martial arts instructor to act and walk and talk a very certain way when they leave that facility. And I get paying respect to your instructor. I think that that's something that you can make a decision on on your own. And I understand representing a brand. Like for instance, if I'm walking outside, I'm not going to go to a bar wearing my martial arts instructor's uniform. Bad branding on him. But that's Mm -hmm. up to me to make those decisions as an adult. And so you see a lot of that in martial arts where people feel obligated to listen to someone about a subject that they're not an expert in whatsoever. It blows my mind.
0: Right. It's so interesting. And I want to come back to the indebted feeling and the, the need to keep up with, you know, a certain kind of look or upholding the instructor's reputation by the way you act. My exposure to that world is very limited. And with just taking my kids to like a kid's karate class where... where it was so damn adorable that, you know, they're kicking with one leg, but they still quite haven't learned how to balance themselves. So they go falling backwards onto the mat and giggle. So I, I, we didn't have a really intense experience and there are usually snacks involved, but I, I think that when it gets to be serious and I'm sure you can feel it, it's palpable when you walk into certain places, what, happens? How does that happen that people feel they have to kind of live and breathe it and they have to make it look good or the instructor look good by the way they behave in the world? How is that taught or how is that transmitted?
1: I guess the only way to really explain it is to start from the very beginning of someone who's walking in for their first class to kind of give you a feel. What you talked about, that palpable feeling that you get inside of a martial arts school, this is actually a term that's used in business quite a bit called the community. And the community feel is what you feel when you walk into anything. Like if you walk into a Starbucks, any Starbucks, it has a certain feel based off of what the franchise has said. We want it to look this way, have this type of lighting. We want the thing to be set up this way because it feels a certain way when you walk in. And it's the same thing with any good business and bad business. Good business, it's very purposeful. Bad business, unfortunately, they don't think that far ahead. So they just opened up a school and said, well, this is what we're doing now. Um, And they don't really put themselves into the shoes of the consumer, which is a shame because most martial arts instructors, unfortunately, don't go and learn anything about business. But the reason that I bring that up is because when you first walk in for your trial class, um, I think we discussed this as well, you get a lot of love bombing. Walk in for your first class, it's your very first day, and they want you to sign up. So of course, they're going to treat you very, very well on your first day. I always tell people when you go in for your trial class, don't just pay attention to the way they treat you, pay attention to the way they're treating other people on the mat. Because once you sign that piece of paper, when you come in for your second class, and now you're an actual member, you're going to be treated just like those people are treated. And so if you see people getting smacked around and you don't understand why, you should be asking questions. Why is that going on? Well, hey, that guy over there, he's getting ready for an MMA fight. That's not going to be you. You're going to be over here, so you don't need to worry about that. Oh, okay. well, that makes me a little more relaxed. But over a long period of time of basically brainwashing, you're put in a position before you ever get there to think this is going to be a certain way, which is like kung fu movies, martial arts and cinema, MMA, things like that, where you've been bombarded for years to feel and think that this is going to be a certain way. So when you get there, you expect it to be a certain way. And so sometimes you fill in the blanks on your own and you allow these people to take advantage of you because you think it's expected when it was never truly asked of you, which is fascinating about the cult thing, because from what we've seen, it seems like sometimes the leadership didn't necessarily set out to make a cult. They took advantage of the fact that people became a cult around them and were like, well, I could stop this. But then I wouldn't be in as much power, and the power feels good. It makes me feel good. So why would I stop? And it's not hurting anybody yet. So let's just keep going. But then it becomes more and more toxic over a long period of time. And next thing you know, there are people who are falling over because they believed they got knocked out with someone's chi, or they're flopping around on the floor because they got pressure pointed in the arm with something that wouldn't normally hurt you at all. But you want to perform a certain way for your instructor. You want to prove yourself, you want to show you're a part of the clan that's where things get really scary.
0: Right. Okay. I want to talk about that getting knocked over by Chi. And when you know Chi is not a person, then you go, okay, there's something to talk about here. I have a childhood friend who I'm still in contact with. And her, her father was the director of a lot of Bruce Lee movies. And uh, I remember her growing up, knowing him and saying that he was uh, kind of a humble guy. Didn't talk very much about what he did. And he just did it. he, he was good at what he did. And I think he he was worried about there being this cult of personality around him. But that can happen when that's your driving force, I think, when that drives you to get involved and to want to be an instructor. Or for some people, probably they start out and pretty innocently, but kind of see that they have power over people and sway and it feeds their ego in some way. And they start to want to see what they can get away with. But this whole idea that you can get knocked over by somebody's energy, shows this, this idea that there is some, something spiritual about it, or superhuman, invisible, some invisible power. And so tell me about that, how that comes into play. And when you first started hearing about that, what was your reaction?
1: Well, chi has been something that's been mystical in the martial arts for a very long time. And every culture has their own version of chi. So you have Chi, which is C-H-I. You have Ki, which is K-I. You have Ki, which is Q-I. You have um, Tanaga Dalam, um, which is an Indonesian version of inner power, uh, which is their version of Chi. And you can even see it a little bit more relevant in like uh, certain religious groups where they have like certain religious groups who call it like the Holy Spirit, where you have a guy like Benny Hinn who waves his hand and everybody flies back, right? So they all call it something different, but with the same effect. When you speak with any martial arts master who is a master of that particular thing, you'll get a different definition by a different person every time. You'll get it explained differently and how to project it a different way. You'll get a lot of I don't knows, which is interesting because these are people who teach it people how to do it. But then when you ask them the question about how it's done, then they'll go, well, I'm not exactly sure. I just know I do it. And it's like, well, if you don't know, then how are you able to teach people? Because half of teaching is understanding. If you don't understand it, then you're learning, not teaching.
0: I just wanted to say that, you know, if when you ask someone what's happening here and how it's done and they they say, I don't know how I do it, it's typically because they're not the ones doing it, I think. I think it's because it's the student wanting to believe that it's true and making it so and flying backwards because they want to know that exists. So that might be true that the instructor doesn't know how they do it because they're not doing it.
1: Well, in sales, they call it no like trust. And so whenever you're trying to sell someone on anything, it doesn't matter what it is. You follow the pattern of no like trust. Someone has to know you to like you. If they don't know you, how do they know they like you? So they have to know you to like you. They have to like you to trust you. And they have to trust you to work with you in a business transaction. If they don't trust you, they're not going to give you money. So there has to be a level of trust. You see this a lot with like Girl Scouts or people who do door to door sales for whatever their local sales thing is. Like, oh, we're in a church group and we're trying to go to Universal Studios. Well, when they walk up to you, they typically say, Hi, my name is Little Susie. And you're like, Well, this is a little kid, right? I know what little kids are like. And they go, Well, we're doing this thing for our church group. And okay, well, now I know. That you're a little kid and I know that you have a church group. Do I like your message? <laughs> you know, It's like, do I like what you're doing? Okay. Well, you know what? You're trying to go to this thing. I want to be supportive. So now I like you. And so now I'm going to trust you that you're telling me the truth. And then I give you money. Well, this is the same thing with martial arts. When you walk in, it's a very personal thing. And so you go through these stages of, well, I need to know you like you and trust you. And if the person's a good salesman, then they understand, well, first we have to build a rapport and we know each other a little bit, which is something you can do. I could, as, as a matter of fact, would you like to do an experiment? Yes, please. All right. So let's say you're coming into my martial arts class for the very first time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. So you walk in. I go, hey, Rachel, how's it going?
0: Great. How's it going with you?
1: I am living the dream as always. I'm super happy to have you here. And I appreciate you taking the time to come in and try out classes. So what brings you in today?
0: I wanted to be able to uh, learn about martial arts and gain some confidence and learn new skills.
1: Awesome. How long have you been thinking about doing something like this?
0: Hmm. A couple years now.
1: couple years. Wow. That's a long time. And your family supports you in doing this? Oh, I see. Got it.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, I think so. I mean, I haven't talked to all of them, but, uh, you know, by, by and large, I think. Well, that's good. I'm,
1: I'm glad that they support you in the decision that you're making. So I know that it can be difficult to try something new and support is very important. And having that structure to help push you to reach your goals is important as well. Are you coming from home or work?
0: I am coming from work.
1: Oh, that's cool. What do you do?
0: I'm a therapist.
1: There, well, that makes a lot of sense. I should have already known that since we're having this conversation. All <laughs> right. Well, I'm going to show you a schedule, OK? We have classes Monday through Saturday. All right. Um, around the same time let's say this is something that you did enjoy. I don't know if you will or not, but let's say this is something you did enjoy. What days of the week do you think would work best for you to come in? Um, Wednesdays. Wednesdays. All right, cool. Um, most people try to train about two to three times a week. You don't have to. It just kind of depends on your personal goals. But if you can do Wednesdays, hey, obviously we're available on Wednesdays. All right. So what's going to happen is Uh, I'm going to give you a tour of the the martial arts facility. I'll show you how everything works and what to expect during class. We're going to sit down, talk to you about like, if you have any ailments like shoulder injuries, back injuries and stuff like that, Um, that's confidential. You obviously, if you don't feel comfortable about telling us anything, you don't have to. It's just so that way we know. So we don't ask you to do something that you're not comfortable with doing. Um, And then at any time, if there's anything that pops up, you're just like, Hey, I'm not feeling that. Just let the instructor know, not a problem. We'll modify and make sure it's comfortable for you after you're done just do me a favor. I want you to meet me back over here at the front desk. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you our deals that we have, our specials. And if it works out for you, I'll, you know, you let me know if this is something you're interested in. I'll show you what the price instructors is, is like. If not, I'll wish you well and you have a great day.
0: That sounds great.
1: So what we just did was we went through something called the five objections. Basically, most people don't like to use the word. No, it's a very abrasive word. It feels very confrontational. And most people don't even use the word yes either, because now I have to commit. What most people do is they'll listen to what you have to say, and they'll say the word okay. Yeah, okay, sure, why not? They don't usually say yes or no. But what they will do instead of using the word no, is they will use five standardized objections that if you're good at sales, you will know these by like the back of your hand. One, I don't have the time. I don't have the money. It's too far away. I have to think about it, or I have to talk to my spouse. And these are the five objections. When you learn these five objections, you technically are brainwashing someone without their knowledge. So what you're doing is you're coaching them because like, let's say you did say that you've been thinking about it for two years. Well, me as a coach, I know that that means that you held back from doing it for whatever reasons. I don't know what those are. Now I can use these five objections. I wouldn't say against you, but for you to help you reach your goals. But I can also, if I have bad, ill intent, use those against you to take advantage of you. So what we just did, I asked you, how long have you been thinking about doing something like this? And you said a few years. You no longer can tell me at the end of our conversation, I have to think about it. Why? Been thinking about it for years. Now, when it comes to the spouse, hey, I got to talk to my wife or I need to talk to my husband, whatever that case may be. I already asked you if you have the support of your family. You said yes, for the most part. So that's going to be a really hard one to pull back out. I asked you if you were coming from home or work. You told me you came from work, I do believe, if I remember correctly, or home, one or the other, but you told me one or the other. Well, if you tell me one or the other, you can no longer tell me it's too far away. It wasn't too far today. And then the last one I said, or the last two were, you know, if you enjoy class today, what days work best for you? Very casual conversation, but now you can no longer tell me you don't have the time. You already told me that these days were available for you. And then finally, the money thing. If you offer a deal or a special to someone the first day that's cheaper and better than any other day by a long shot, then it can't really be the money issue either because it's not going to get any cheaper. <laughs> it's only going to get more expensive. And so that is a small form of sales tactics that's not abrasive because I'm not hard selling you. I'm just talking with you. We're just having a conversation. But at the same time, it. It's letting me know more about you because I can toss those into casual conversation, but it's developing that know, like, and trust. We get to know each other a little bit. If I'm not abrasive to you in sales tactics, then maybe you like and trust me a little bit more. So by the time we actually get to payment, which I'm upfront about, by the way, technically you should have four phone calls, by the way, or bring it up four times before the actual sale is made because I brought it up so much, it's no longer surprising to you. Well, that's a small tactic. Another tactic could be something like, would I show you to knock how to knock people out with your mind the first day? <laughs> or would I save that up until you've I've gotten that trust from you about other techniques that are just common, front kick, jab, cross hook, things like that? Then slowly but surely start working in these things that are a little more what they would consider advanced, which aren't really advanced. It's just I let the, the real stuff sink in before I get to the stuff that's made up. It's it's a slow churning process, just like that conversation that we had, that those five objections, the same thing has to happen with me lying to you about technique.
0: Okay. That was very interesting. Very interesting. And I wonder, yeah, so, so there are these opportunities that where I think I'm having a conversation or I'm getting some information or you're just getting innocent information from me, but what you're doing is you're knocking down all my possible barriers. Wow. And it's, it's a really good thing for people to remember that you could be having a conversation with someone, but the other person's intention is completely different than yours.
1: I guess intent is so important here. If your doctor told you that you have to lose 40 or 50 pounds before you can have a gastric bypass, and it's been 20 years that you've, over a long period of time, have created bad habits, and you've said no to working out your entire life up to that point, mm-hmm. These tactics might save your life. They might be the thing that changes the programming in your mind to get you excited to do something. But that's not always the case. Sometimes it's being used to take advantage of you. And so at the end of the day, we have to make the decision, is what I'm doing actually going to meet my goals? Which is why it's so important to know what your goals are and have them black and white. This is my goal. This is what I want out of this. And making sure that you stick to those because if the person is actually providing you with the things that you needed and wanted, then who cares? But if the person, they're just saving your life at that point, especially in the case of the 30 pounds, 40 pounds for gastric bypass, which happened to a friend of mine, would you be able to make that decision on your own without being helped or guided that way? Because even being guided by the doctor and the doctor tells you, hey, you're going to die if you don't lose weight, you're being guided a different way, a very stern way and with high consequences. But this is the same thing when it comes to people who are shy, people who are looking for friends but don't know how to do it. And so they're intimidated because there are just people in the room. (laughs) They don't even have to be kicking each other. (laughs) It's like, oh, people, ah. Um, And so as a coach, what I tell all my clients when I'm doing business consulting with them is, yes, you are a coach on the mat, but the truth is you're just a coach in the building, not just on the mat. Because if you're nice on the mat, but rude off the mat in the, in the lobby, well, guess what? You're not a very good coach, but if you're not trying to help people understand when they're walking in your door, clearly and decisively what you provide, you're not taking advantage of them and you're trying to guide them in a direction that's beneficial for them, not just beneficial for you, then now you're being a good coach.
0: Because of the work that I do, I'm suspicious of people who ask me questions just because you know, I am. And I'm sure that I already give over much more information in unspoken ways and people reading me or whatever else. And if you're asking people these questions in a very chatty, friendly style, and instead of answering, they say, why do you want to know that? I've started saying that, like, what do you do for a living? Well, why do you want to know
1: that? Yeah, for sure. Well, like, let's say, for instance, uh, as a coach, I would say, let's go back and let's just during that conversation, drop one. So why do you want to know? I go, Hey, how's it going, Rachel? And obviously I already know your name because I set up the appointment. And if I'm good good at my job, I should know who you are. (laughs) Hey, Rachel, how's it going? Rob, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you
0: too. Um,
1: Are you coming from home or work?
0: I'm coming from work.
1: Okay. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear that. So what do you do for a living?
0: Um, Why do you want to know that?
1: I was just making conversation. What they call it in sales is quite literally first dating someone. <laughs> and so um, that's how you develop no like, and trust. Well, if you were sitting across a table from someone that you just met for the first time, what's naturally going to occur? Going to ask other questions. It's just a natural part of conversating with somebody that you don't know. Um, and so based off of that, you can, and obviously the whole conversation we're having now is very much a staged thing, right? I'm asking you questions. You know, we're, we're doing an experiment. But typically how these conversations go is that conversation we had that maybe lasted two, three minutes, it's usually like 15 minutes because I actually genuinely as a coach want to know more about my student. I just do. Like, for instance, if the person tells me that they, uh, they sit in an office all day, that might lead me to ask, well, do you have lower back pain? Because if you do, maybe some of these exercises might not be good for you. Uh, again, intent is so important. You know, if you could use these tactics to be genuinely a good coach, you know, like what, you know, if somebody says, for instance, with the question, how long you been thinking about doing something like this 10 years, I go, wow, what made you wait so long to do this? And they said, well, I have this, this horrible knee injury and it's been holding me back. Well, that's important for me to know. I actually truly need to know that if I'm going to be a good coach to you, that you have this injury. So if we're doing squats, I don't, you know, go over there and just assume something. I I go over there and I know, Oh, Hey, Steve's got an injury. Give him something else, please, because he's going to hurt himself. Um, You know, you know, so the conversation again, it's, it could go either way. You could be taking advantage of somebody for sure, but also you could just be doing a good, being a good coach, you know, your diligence to find out about your student.
0: Mm -hmm. I think sometimes you can tell, it seems that if someone is really asking for your benefit or for theirs with how irritated or annoyed or insistent they get when you don't offer them immediate information. Because I've seen that happen too, where people just seem irritated with me that I'm not giving up details because that wasn't part of why I'm signing up. And I didn't know that I was going to be asked that, nor do I know this person at all. And so I'm just not sharing it. But I'm wondering in you having interviewed a lot of people, I'm sure that you have come across some stories that I think would be good for people to hear about. I'm sure, you know, some of them are probably more disturbing than others, but what are some of the stories that you remember hearing about? And and I'm not just saying this for sensationalism. I think people who have really had bad experiences feel alone and they really think it's only happened to them or it's because it's their fault that it happened or whatever else. So I think it's important to hear about these.
1: Some of the worst ones that I've seen are actually from Indonesia where I've seen children run over by trucks and killed because they believed in Tanaga Dalam, which is that inner power. And it's a, it's a big thing right now in Indonesia where MMA martial arts in general is spreading there. Um, Thank Thankfully for one championship, because those are the people that are really spreading it over on that part of the country. But a lot of MMA fighters who are coming up and doing real legitimate martial arts are looking at these other people who have basically formed cults because they're in this third world country type area where they're impoverished. There's not a lot going on. And these gurus pop up and offer these people the world and even supernatural abilities. And it makes them feel more power empowered than they would have if they were just doing their day-to-day life, which would be very rough and hard and nothing to look forward to. And so they're, they're taking advantage of these people. Well, these MMA fighters are fighting that because I've seen kids slit their throats I've seen uh, eight year old, as a matter of fact, uh, I get sent a lot of videos that are extremely disturbing that I can't share online, obviously, but they believe with Tanaga Dalam that they can harden their bodies. And so they'll do this thing where they'll take swords and they're dulled. It's a magic trick, but they'll run it across their entire body and not get cut. And then they'll show that that's their power. It's not, it's just a dulled blade. There's, there's no edge. But then little kids see that. And it's perpetuated and then they get severely hurt or killed in the case of the kid who slid his throat or the one who got run over by the truck and severely injured and one died. But that's because that's a whole culture that's been made around that. And if you, the, the the craziest part of those particular incidents are when I post those up on my Instagram page, Not obviously not the death stuff, but the knocking people out with their mind or the being able to move and manipulate people without touching them or even abusive stuff like taking whole trees and hitting students with trees, like literal trees. And then the students just stand there. And they're like, this makes us tough. Like, actually it does the opposite for you. Like as somebody who has fought, it doesn't do that at all. What this does is it makes you more likely to be susceptible to being accepting of abuse. You're now okay with this. And you think that this is good for you. That's uh, what, from what I can tell is basically Stockholm syndrome. This person who was taking advantage of you, now you're sympathizing with them and they're taking advantage of you and you don't know it. <laughs> you're like, well, he has the best intent for me and it's going to help me. It's not. You just think that because this is the only source of information that's coming at you. But if you had like three or four different sources that you trusted telling you, hey, man, that doesn't work. He's just hitting you with a stick. <laughs> like that doesn't actually make you good at anything other than being good at getting hit with a stick, then that would change your mind. But More common cases, I would say, are you see this a lot online with like five-minute crafts. You see it a lot with a a Business Insider, Tech Insider, which is a subsidiary company. You see it with Marie Claire. TikTok is really big on this now, where you see all these fly-by-night self-defense instructors pop up and teach something that they know is going to work. The five tips you have to know in order to save your life, right? Something dramatic. And then they're taught by just the receptionist. Like one of the cases, Marie Claire put out a video about like the five self-defense tips you have to know. Well, I actually spoke with the woman who, because once this went out, it got a lot of heat because none of those things would actually work. Come to find out, she had no martial arts experience when she got hired to do this video. They picked her because she was an attractive fit woman. And that's who they needed to fit the description of this video. And they said, just make it up. And she did. She made it up. And to this day, she still doesn't live it down. But she actually did after that, you know, go and learn and get. She's working on getting a actual education in the martial arts. But at that time, that video went viral. I mean, millions upon millions of people were looking at, going, "Man, I can't wait to practice that with my boyfriend. This is so good for us. This is empowering." There's nothing empowering about someone lying to you. And there was a lot of people that like to hide behind that women's empowerment movement to where I say, hey. You know, I got to let you guys know this isn't going to work. It doesn't matter if it's a female or a male or whatever. That's just not going to work. And then they go, well, you're just disrespecting because it's not a dude or it's not this or it's not that. That's not that's not the case. The case is, is that these people are going to get severely hurt, if not killed, when they try this magic technique and the person who's trying to harm them punches them in the face. They get knocked unconscious or trip and hit their head on concrete and die. They could have done something else that was more effective or nothing at all. Sometimes doing nothing at all will save your life. If someone tries to snatch your purse and you do nothing and they take your purse, oh well. But if you remember this one nugget that five-minute crafts puts out and you're like, oh, I remember this technique and you practiced it and you worked on it, right? Then all of a sudden you fight for that purse and the dude turns around and knocks you in the face. And then now you're laying with severe injuries for the rest of your life, that's dangerous. That's irresponsible for these companies to put out this nonsense. And what happens is because we trust the company, no like, trust, remember, and they're good at sales, we trust that five-minute crafts wouldn't put out something that would harm us. We trust that Marie Claire wouldn't put this out to the world to harm us. But the truth is, they don't care about you. They know you will click on it. They know you will share it. They know that it's clickbait and they know that it doesn't work because they could have hired somebody who really knows what they're doing and they know they didn't. They just don't understand how harmful it really is.
0: Okay. That's, uh, I mean, it's so disturbing to think that people are just putting out content that, that are going to get people potentially killed and it's just sent out with abandon. I'm really glad that people are responding to it though and, and calling people out on it. It's really very important. I think people um, also are going to come across a lot of different names of different styles like the jujitsu or Krav Maga or different, you know, from all, all over and all over the world. And so I think just to, as we're coming to a close, some of the things across the board, and I know you, you, you don't want to call out one form over another, but just what should people watch out for? I know you're talking about people being honest How do you know that someone's being honest with you? And what are the tells?
1: Most people, when they join a martial arts school, they only know to ask one question. And that question is, how much does it cost? This actually should probably be the last question that you do ask, because if you're pursuing martial arts, you already know it's going to cost money. So just go ahead and assume it's going to be anywhere between 50 to 200 bucks. It'll be in there somewhere. All right. So just know that Going in, that's the last question you really need to ask because all the other questions are so much more important. Like, where did you get your black belt? How long have you been training? Are you CPR certified? Are you locally and federally background checked? Can I see that? Can I check that myself? Are your staff locally and federally background checked? Is your staff CPR certified? Because most of the time with instructors, eventually the head instructor will phase himself out And allow his coaches to do most of the work so just because the guy who's in charge has these things doesn't mean that the other people do and it's important to ask those questions also are you happy when you're there like i know that that seems like such a, a a nonchalant thing but how you feel when you go into a place is so important to whether or not it's going to be beneficial to you you know if you're if you're already going in and you're not comfortable for whatever reason don't stay It doesn't matter if this person has every credential in the world and you can fact check all of those things. My suggestion would be ask questions that are checkable, write them down, take a notepad with you when you go in for your trial class, you know, and say, hey, well, who did you learn from? And then if they have a legitimate lineage, which is what it's called and who they learned from and who that person learned from, and you can trace that. And that means they're being honest about what they're teaching you, at least because they had a, a genuine education. So that is important. There's the reason we put degrees on our wall, right? <laughs> People trust us because we have the degree. Uh, but it's the same thing with martial arts. The next thing is don't just stop at the first place, and that is the end all be all for you. If you only went into one place, and you didn't go try other places out, and you were told specifically not to, <laughs> and would like, yeah, I'm going to leave. I'm not staying. What a good company will do is if they are confident in the service they provide, they'll encourage you to do it. They'll be like, hey, man, I want to check out some other place. Hey, not a problem. Hey, by all means. There's there's a karate school over there and there's a taekwondo school over there. By all means, please do your shopping around. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. We do have a first day special right now. But because you do want to shop around, what I'll do is I'll reserve that so that way the next time you come in after you shopped around, I'll make sure that I reserve that for you and I'll give you the same deal as if it was your first day because you're going out and you're doing your research and that's going to be beneficial to you.
0: Okay. And I think, I guess, with also asking these questions and making these statements, from what I've seen with my work and I guess what you've seen with your work, what matters is not only what the person says, but how they react to you making that statement or asking that question. If they get offended, if they start questioning you and are you really serious about this? And, you know, I mean, those are a lot of problems too.
1: High pressure sales are so not needed with martial arts. We're selling a service, right? And then because it's such a personal thing, it's less about what you're learning there and more about how you feel when you are there. Because let's just be honest. Let's say, like, hypothetically, the only reason you're going to a martial arts school is for self-defense. Statistically, the odds of you having to use that more than actually being there to train are almost impossible. If you had to fight someone literally every day of your life, you need to move to a different neighborhood and think about your life choices. <laughs> you don't need karate. You need therapy, homie, because obviously you were the common denominator here, all right? right but right. what are the odds of you using something like typing? Well, typing, I, might use, I personally use that every day. That's a skill that I learn every day. And so it would be more likely that I would use that skill every day. But martial arts, it, it's what I call one of the most handy, useless skills ever, right? Because when you need it, you need to be good at it and you need to be effective and you need it just to save your life. so it's high risk, high reward, right? but most of the time you're gonna be in there training it, not doing it and so since you're training it, what benefits are you getting other than that? what are you getting any supplemental benefits? are you losing weight? are you getting in shape are you making the friends that you wanted to make? are you so finding these other goals are so much more important than the overall goal of self-defense because Unless you're just an asshole, you're probably not fighting people every day.
0: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So as we finish up, any last uh, thing that you want to make sure to impart?
1: The biggest thing about learning anything is being able to enjoy what you're you're doing because you're more likely to practice it and which will make you more likely to be good at it. If you're going to go into a martial arts facility, that's awesome. Make sure you stick to your goals and don't let the person in charge change what your particular goals are. You're looking for something to better you. You're not looking for something to better them. And then the final thing is, if you're going to get your your children into a martial arts facility, your children are not you. They're going to have their own goals, their own dreams, their own ambitions. Even at a very young age, they will have things that they like and they don't. The average martial artist, no matter what the age, drops out at about a year on average. Understand that if your child is five, And your goal is to get them into martial arts, they're probably dropping out by six. If they're 12, they're dropping out by 13. If you're 30, you're probably dropping out by 31. So within a year's time, what goals are attainable and reasonable that you can get your child into it for? If they're five, maybe it's just basic hand eye coordination. They're not gonna be a trained killer at five. They just stop pooping themselves. You know, setting this ridiculous bar for them not only is unhealthy for them, but it's unhealthy for you. And so make sure that you're doing these things for the right reasons, especially for the sake of your children.
0: Really good parenting advice. You know, you see it on softball fields, you see it soccer field, you see it everywhere. Uh, and it's very uncomfortable to watch, actually. So I want to thank you very much for your work and for trying to get the message out that helps with safeguards and helps people know what to watch out for, because it should be something that you get something out of. And it should be something that makes you feel good about yourself and not worse. And that you get to mm, hold on to your rights and your boundaries, even if you're doing something that's intense. For sure. All right. Thank you so much for sharing this information. And where can people find out about what you're doing and what you're working on?
1: So you can check out any of my social media platforms at McDojo Life. Uh, You can also keep up with our documentary, which you were awesome enough to be a part of, which we truly appreciate. Uh, You can check that out at McDojoLife.com doc that's mcdoja life doc on instagram it is a donation based page because it was a crowdfunded movie so if anybody wants to, to keep up with it uh behind the scenes content original content and updates just go there follow uh the link that's in the bio yeah it's all it's all greatly appreciated
0: thank you rob and yes people be sure to check out rob's work and to support it if you can So lovely to talk to you and to learn from you and to um, do some uh, sales work and uh, (laughs) education. That was cool, actually. And I will uh, hopefully talk to you again soon. One more thing before you go. Thank you so much to Rob for his really, really interesting talk with me today not only about life in a dojo and what could go wrong, but also sales techniques and how they get you. And what's so interesting about talking to people like him is that you learn the message over and over that I talk about, that other colleagues of mine talk about, that this can happen in so many different environments. And it can happen in different schools. And it can happen because it's all about the nature of the relationship between the person in charge and those who are following him or her, and listening or being guided by or being taught by him or her. And it is so much about the sales. When you're dealing with cults, very often you're dealing with a cult of personality. That is that the person in charge has this sort of aura about them. Usually that's because they try to seem like they have superhuman abilities, superhuman strength, that somehow they know more than anyone else. And they also do it through intimidation, and they do it through the sales tactic of scarcity, that you can only get what you really need and the best way to learn it here from their class, from them. Oftentimes, these people who are so at the core of this cult of personality are actually not the most skilled. They're sometimes kind of mediocre. People who I find are really, really skilled Often have humility that you don't find in cult leaders. They're the ones who are really good, but they don't have to talk about how good they are and they don't have to talk about the best. In fact, they're often feeling motivated to want to learn more and to want to do better. And so they don't think they're the king of the hill. And as soon as you are with that kind of personality, you find that. When you strip away all of the intimidation tactics and all of the manipulation and all of the ways that they get you to adore them and to worship them, to idolize them, then you look at their skills and for many of them, not all, but for many of them, again, their skills are kind of middle of the road. What they do convince you of, though, is that they have something that nobody else has. But truly, if they had that, wouldn't they be in charge of the whole field? Wouldn't everyone be learning from them? Wouldn't those who have been famous in that world be sitting at their feet or taking their classes? And that never happens. So you want to gain a sense of perspective on the whole scene. It's very hard, though, when you find yourself suddenly taking classes every day or working for someone full time, making sacrifices for them. But also, what you want to make sure to do is to never feel that you are under threat, that if you leave their class, you're never going to have the right skills to do a good job or to be good at X, Y, and Z that if you leave their class, there's no way back in because, well, if they're a narcissist, then you injured them, and so they will punish you by either making you grovel to come back in or never letting you come back in. You don't need any of that nonsense when all you're trying to do, again, is learn a skill and get good at it. So much of what they put in front of you is just noise and so much chaos in your world, so much control, so much confusion. And they need to be the most important person in your life, teaching you the most important things. And you want to watch out if they're starting to dictate the rest of your life. That's a huge warning sign about something that is more of a cult than a healthy organization. Are they telling you, How much to sleep, what to eat, who to date, how much time to spend with your family, and on and on and on. Whenever I am doing therapy, the therapy ends when the session is over. I don't dictate what people should do after they leave my office. I would never assume that that's my role. That is absolutely inappropriate. And so others shouldn't do it as well. They can have suggestions about how much you should sleep or what you should eat, but they can't tell you what you absolutely have to do. And unless you do it, they're going to somehow punish you. You should also never feel scared. And in a lot of these classes, people feel scared. They are pushed to the brink. I've worked with a number of people who were involved in these kinds of martial arts cults where their heads were put under water for long periods of time, really waterboarded, where they were told actually to break up with someone who they had just gotten engaged to because they were going to be going away for the weekend with that person who they had fallen in love with because they were going to propose to them that weekend. And that was showing that they didn't have a commitment and that they needed to show that they had a full commitment to what they were going to be doing. And so they had to make a choice. And because they had worked six, seven, eight, nine years to get where they were in that particular dojo, they thought, well, they don't actually have a choice. So they didn't go on the weekend and they didn't propose. And then they were too afraid of continuing on with even pursuing that relationship because they were so afraid of their teacher, their instructor being disappointed with them, and all those years going to waste. None of this should happen. You should be able to have a both and life, not either or. Remember that, a both and life, not either or. Nothing should take the place of your life outside of an organization of your relationships, of your alliances, of your other interests. Your life can be full and your life can be good. You just need to make sure that you don't let anyone take it away from you. What you always want to be clear about is that in order for something to be healthy, the focus For you to be able to really distinguish if something is healthy or not is really not so much about the teachings, but about the relationship, the partnership, the respect that should exist between you and a teacher, between you and anyone who is teaching you anything. If they can't respect the fact that you have a life, that things are making you feel scared, That you're being pushed too far, if they can't respect when you say no, especially if you're injured, especially if you have something else going on that's special in your life that you want to be able to hold on to, that you want to have happen, then you will know that the most important person in the room, according to that teacher, is the teacher, not you. And that should never be the case. And so I wish for all of you moving forward in your lives, when you find something that you're interested in, make sure that you have time in your life and support in your life to finish your degree, to have your relationships, to do other things. And also, just to have downtime. Downtime that you don't have to feel guilty about. Downtime that you don't have to explain. Downtime that you don't have to somehow get permission for. You should always have freedom, no matter how great a commitment you make to anything. Talk to you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Please support Indoctrination on Patreon at patreon.com indoctrination Be sure to give us a follow on our social media Find us on Facebook and Instagram using at indoctrinationpodcast and for Twitter find us at, at underscore indoctrination We love hearing from you too So send us an email at indoctrinationshow@gmail.com. at gmail.com And for more updates on the show visit our website at www.podpage.com forward slash indoctrination.